0: The American dream for anybody was to come here and to live well. And we spend our time, we build businesses, we build families, we build safe communities. Yet very few people build churches anymore.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you grow and learn in your life. It's your faith. It's your responsibility to grow your faith and no one can grow it for you. This Salty Pastor podcast is designed to help you grow. And our goal is to help you know what you believe and why you believe it. This is why developing your critical thinking skills is necessary to a growing and mature Faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I am your host and we cannot do the salty pastor podcast without the salty pastor himself, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Douglas peak.
0: Welcome everybody. Glad you're here today. We're just going to have a great discussion about some of the things that Peter has been, uh, teaching us and showing us. And so I'm really excited about how it applies out. We're going to dig into some, uh, pretty heady topics today, but I think it'll be good.
1: Well, our salty pastor never. Runs away from (laughs) heady topics. Yes, that is true. He is not intimidated. We are in our series. (laughs) Don't freak out all about discovering how to survive stress, pressure, and even persecution. It's a study in first Peter and first Peter was written as a letter to, um, churches in Asia minor by obviously the apostle Peter, hence first Peter, (laughs) um, during uh, this time where Nero, the Roman emperor, was persecuting them. And mm-hmm. and Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. So if you want some geography clues as to where they were um, located at, that's where it was at. But on uh, Tuesday, we talked about the latter half of Chapter 3 and some of Chapter 4. And we did some Bible study on it, but today we're going to talk about application in the modern day. Mm -hmm. So pastor Doug, take us away. Well, I think, uh, this
0: persecution that was going on had a bigger impact on the church than people realize when they're reading this letter from first Peter. Uh, when you read the book of acts and you go back and kind of dig into what happened 30 years after Christ rose from the dead is that the church grew really fairly rapidly. Mm -hmm. I mean. We're talking that the population of the planet 2,000 years ago was considerably less. Right. I mean, significantly less. I I, th- I think we hit one billion people on the face of the planet sometime around the 15, 1600s, somewhere okay. in there. So, so we were
1: significantly below that. Significantly below that. So Jesus you think about is that term. is
0: that there was a lot of wide open spaces, mm. and what's interesting about it is that In this persecution, the church, uh, had been growing fairly rapidly. You see these 5,000 came to Christ in one day, 10,000 came to Christ in one day. You see these numbers and then you see how it was predominantly, uh, adopted by the lower classes, even the poor slaves, women. But we also see towards the end of the book of acts, how it began to grow among the Roman elite as well. Mm. Okay. And therefore when this persecution broke out, it affected everyone And the way it really impacted, I believe the church in the first century was it shattered the spirit of new community. Now, when you read the new Testament letters, you see that the, the new community, that sense of belonging and togetherness, uh, could be fractured at times with divisive attitudes or behaviors, but this is the first time where the entire church was forced with an outside push that created a lot of division within the church and predominantly through the process of the Neronian torture, what he would do is they rounded up people. They would torture them to confess to burning Rome. And then give up the names of other Christians. And so initially what people would do is give them any name, you know, I mean, first of all, they're confessing to a fire that they didn't start, but that's what torture does. You can make a person say anything you want when you torture them enough. Right. And in past weeks, we've talked about how incredibly horrible this torture and persecution was. It was so bad that Tacitus in the annals says this, he says that even though these people should be put to death, you know, because of how weird they are they gained a lot of sympathy because the emperor was so cruel Mm. to them. So what happened is you can see that this was really severe. It was really bad uh, for the early church. And I think that, you know, in America today, persecution of the church is growing in its popularity.
1: So I've noticed that my generation is less interested in church as a whole. Yes. Yes. Um, However, I haven't really heard a lot about the persecution of the church in America. We talked mm-hmm. a lot on the Salty Pastor about how the people in China and Iraq are dealing with yes. these different forms of persecution, but I haven't really seen anything like that or like what Peter and the, the people of Asia minor were going through mm-hmm. with Nero. So can you speak into that? Pastor? Yeah, well.
0: You know, you bring up a really interesting trend because on the one hand, you have to be honest and say, well, the persecution in America is nothing like the persecution in Islamic countries right now, right? You know, it's nothing like, I just read a case yesterday about how, um, a, uh, in Pakistan, a man took a 10 year old girl and he, she was a Christian and he took her and then forcibly married her. You know, and then took her before the court and said that she had willingly of her own free will converted to Islam. And so she was going to pay the father $62 for this girl and the Pakistan court ruled in the Muslims favor. So you see this kind of type of persecution. There's uh, in Nigeria right now, there's a tremendous amount of persecution going on where these Islamic Northern herdsmen are coming down and just, you know, finding anybody who's a Christian and killing them. Mm. And so this is really quite common in America. Is that happening? No, it's not. But I do think that you bring up a really interesting question and that is each generation since the sixties has become less interested in church or Christianity. When you study the history of America, what you see is three or four great revivals, they called them Mm -hmm. and right before the revolutionary war, uh, that we announced our independence was a massive great revival. The, the big, the really big one, the greatest one It was the first great revival. And then it led to our independence. Then there was another great revival in the early 1800s. And then another one in the 1840s and fifties that led to then the abolition of slavery. And then you had another one in the late 1800s. Okay. And a lot of people believe that's what helped fuel the whole women's suffrage movement and the temperance movements and things of that nature. And so what happened, and then we were hit by world wars, you know, and late you know, like around 1920, right? Prior to that from 15 to 19 or something like that was world war one. Then we had world war two, which dominated everything. And I think what happened is came back from world war two and there was a lot of these social theory, uh, groups. There was a lot of Marxist ideological groups that had penetrated the university system. And so in the sixties, we see that there hasn't been a revival since That one in the early 1900s, there hasn't been a great revival, even though Billy Graham could in the fifties could pack out stadiums, the, the revival. And I think that really, um, threatened people, uh, that didn't want to see that happen, these people that come from these Marxist ideologies, they said, wow, this could be another really super massive great revival, because look at Billy Graham. He's, he's having hundreds of thousands of people listening to him preach the gospel and so. Since then though, since the sixties, we haven't seen that. Well, why? there's only two options. The first option is there's something wrong with the church in America and it's just not reaching people and there's a problem with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. That might be true. Uh, The other option is there's something wrong with the culture in America. Now, younger people in the church today say that, well, the reason why young people and younger generations are not interested in church is because there's something wrong with the church. Uh, and then they evaluate the church and say, well, it's not cool enough. It's, it's out of touch. It doesn't speak their language. It isn't keeping up with the times, which if that were true, let's use the thought experience then, um. It, it, there would be no churches concerned with reaching people for Christ. There'd be no new church plants. There'd be no churches serving their communities. There'd be no outreach. There would be no massively different styles of worship. Um, th- there wouldn't be any of these cultural things that the church has been penetrating. I all mean, right? all
1: these lists are things that are happening i mean even here in the treasure valley the the variety of styles of worship of message delivery even of uh secondary values about christianity is such a wide breadth of people attempting to say i'm trying to connect with this demographic and some of them are really trying to reach my age or the zillennials or whatever (laughs) you want to call them well that's an excellent point see uh, that's my contention is that
0: that there isn't something wrong with the church. I'd say the church is probably attempting to reach the culture too much, almost. They're trying
1: to be too cultural.
0: Too cultural, yeah. And so I think. I think that's part of the thing so, well, why are they doing this? Why are they so aggressive? Well, cause the first one isn't true. There isn't anything wrong with the church when it comes to the church that is a biblical church in any community. So the other option has to be true. The second option focuses on how the culture is intentionally attacking the church and seeking to undermine it as much as possible. Um, if that one is true, then what signs would there be? You know, well, I think that some of the signs are starting to present themselves. Uh, I have a list of people that have been fired from their jobs because they were Christians. Okay. They, a social media post was taken and then their employer used that to fire them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The latest is Southwest airlines fired a long tenured stewardess who had very high reviews. Uh, she was an excellent worker for them, but she was opposed to abortion. And so Southwest airlines fired her. So she sued and she won a $5 million lawsuit from them. And I'm like, well, thank goodness you did that. Well, why do you think you could sue, fire someone who has a different opinion of on abortion, a political mm. issue? Well, that's because our universities are cranking out people that work in corporations who believe this. We call them wokesters, right? For instance, uh, there's a university, uh, in Edwardsville in uh, Illinois that, uh, ordered a Christian student not to talk to other students who disagree with her because she was a Christian. Well, she had to go. The Alliance Defending Freedom, um, went and said, look, Southern Illinois university, you can't do that. There's no basis. They said, yes, we're going to do it anyway. Guess what happened? They lost, which is good. Uh, I think, uh, there is, uh, the American center for law and justice, uh, had a suit for two students who were denied admission to the radiation therapy program at the community college of Baltimore County. And it's like, okay, this is just a healthcare thing. How to be a radiologist. Right. Well, why, why could, why were they denied? Well, because, uh, they brought up they, one of the questions in the interview was what is the most important thing in your life? And one of the students uh, or applicants said, well, my faith. Mm. And he said, because of that, because faith, uh, the interviewer and the program leader said faith has no place in science. And, and so you're seeing these situations come up and rise across the country uh the University of Iowa just lost a lo- uh, lost a lawsuit because they denied a Christian group from meeting on campus right mm-hmm. uh if you're a Christian group a lot of them are being denied any access to the student union places to meet any of the other benefits that all the other groups have the basis for the denial of that Christian group at the university of Iowa was you had to be a Christian in order to be an elected leader of the group. And they said that this was anti-LGDPQ plus, therefore you can't meet. And so I find that really fascinating all of these different things. So if, how can these things be happening unless there has been a concentrated effort in public schools to create this hostility. And that's been a part of the curriculum in our public school system. Now I hate to bring sound, you know, hyperbole and people overstate the case all the time. In other words, well, if anybody disagrees with you, you call them a communist or a Nazi and I go, yeah, well, that's ridiculous. Not everybody who disagrees with you is that at all. But I think it's really important to call a spade a spade. All right. And a lot of people don't realize that when the war started, World War II in 1939 and 1940, and then just a few short years later, the concentration camps in which all the Jewish people found themselves, right, in uh, Europe at that time, it started just like 10 years prior to that or eight years prior to that. Mm -hmm. And in 1933, when the Nazis took over, what happened is there was a progression of over 400 laws that were passed. And the first ones were fairly benign, right? With really nice names. And then they progressively got worse. And, in uh, I believe it was 1933, April 7th, the, uh, uh, German parliament passed a law called the law for the restoration of professional civil service, All right, It sounds pretty benign, right? Hey, this is a law for the restoration of professional civil service. We want civil servants who are professional and we want to eliminate corruption. But in the bill, it excluded Jews and the politically unreliable from civil service. So you couldn't be a cop, you couldn't be a, a judge, you couldn't be a, you know, a clerk. You couldn't be any of those things, right? So we look back at that and go, Oh, that's absolutely horrible, right? Right. Well, I just like to point out that, uh, California is currently passing a bill called six, five, five, you can Google it and look it up. And it's called the law enforcement accountability reform act. And what it does is it for it, it, uh, it forbids people from becoming police officers or any type of law enforcement agent in the state of California. If it says in subparagraph G. Uh, subsection one, it says if there is in the interview process, if there is a background check and it shows that the person has any public expression of hate. Specifically, it says, means any statement or expression to another person, including any statement or expression made in an online forum that is accessible to another person that explicitly advocates for, explicitly supports, or explicitly threatens to commit genocide. Okay, well, who's in favor of genocide? Nobody. Nobody. Well, but <laughs> mostly nobody. Mostly nobody. There's a few dictators that yes. are in into that, but but look, notice what they do, the way they phrase it. Okay, it says the advocates, uh, or threatens to commit genocide or any hate crime that explicitly advocates for or explicitly supports any hate group. So it's not just oh, people who advocate for genocide. It's are you supporting any hate group? Okay. Well, what's a hate group. And so California uses the Southern poverty law centers list of hate groups. And you know what is included in the Southern poverty law centers list of hate groups in California? Uh, the Jewish anti-defamation league is considered a hate group. The family research council, which is one of the main think takes on the family in Washington DC that has offices in California. And they also name by name, multiple Christian churches, Hmm. not weird ones like Westboro Baptist, which everybody needs to know. And I've said this before, it's not a church, it's a family. And what that family does is they've organized themselves. They call themselves a church. They go to events to provoke, but everybody in the family is a lawyer. People don't know that.
1: There's a whole thing, if you don't know, that it's very easy to actually start a church in certain states. Yes. You don't have to have hardly anything to, quote unquote, be a church. Correct. But there's the church and then there's. These groups that form for tax shelter, yeah, they do that so that they can, yeah, whatever. so
0: that they can practice and sue and not pay taxes on what they're doing, and they they right. do that, uh, and that's why the Worldwide Church of God started, and that's why Scientology started. You know, L. Ron Hubbard, you know, he was making all this money off of his books and his Dianetics and all this kind of stuff, and he th- said to himself, "I don't want to pay taxes on this," so he says, "Well, we're a church now, we're a religion, right?" And so he could pocket it all, but. I think it's really important to understand that this bill back to the point says any hate group, if you're associated with any hate group or ever expressed any support for any hate group, and then they turn around and they use the Southern poverty law centers list of hate groups. So people have written on this and said, when this passes, if you are a Christian and you go to church, then you are forbidden from civil service.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: Let's go back April 7th, 1933 excluded Jews and the politically unreliable from civil service. See, that's where it begins. Now, am I calling these people Nazis? No, but if the shoe fits, you got to wear it.
1: There's a slippery slope that exists there, right? I mean, you don't, they're not, you're not calling them Nazis, but this step is, could be the first step in many other things that could roll out very rapidly. And, as I'm not in, calling
0: them Nazis, but what I'm saying is that the bill in California sounds almost exactly like the bill that the, was passed by the, the Nazis in 1933. Right. The similarities are overwhelming.
1: Yes. And so I think understanding that, and especially where you've gone and done this research, they're using, in typical political fashion, they're they're hiding definitions in other places that yes. you, when you read it, you go, yeah, nobody supports a hate group. Yeah. You know, I don't support hate groups. I don't think they're good. Right. Yeah. But then, cause what is it?
0: What is a call for Christians? Are we supposed to embrace hate or do what?
1: Love. We're yeah. Love, right. And <laughs> yeah. so it's like, obviously you go and say, no, obviously I do not support a hate group. This bill looks good theoretically. Right. Mm-hmm. But as is the case in most political, uh, jockeying, it's all the devils in the details. And in this case, it literally is the devil in the details details. and And it's a big devil and it's a big devil. And so you go and have to go track down this other list. And then it's like, oh, that's your list. Well, that's not what I thought I was signing up for or voting for. And it takes people way too much effort to, on a daily basis to go and do what you've done. And so they're going to go, yeah, let's pass this bill. And then they realize, "Uh uh-oh. We may have made a mistake. Yeah.
0: Well, the problem is, is a lot of them aren't saying we made a mistake. What they're doing is they're, they are intentionally doing it this way. Right. Which
1: is sad. But I mean, I think there's some deception in it too, right? Because it's like you could definitely see. Absolutely. You could see someone going and reading this byline in their voting registration and go, yeah, "Yeah, I don't support genocide or hate groups. And I don't want my law enforcement to support genocide or hate groups. That makes sense. So I'll I'll vote for it. The cop, even Christian cops would probably go in. And if they had not... Reddit, Reddit, go, yeah, I don't want those kind of people working with me. They give us a bad name and they yeah, are horrendous exactly. people exactly. and then they vote for it and then they find out, oh, I got fired because I attend church. Yeah. How did that happen? How oh, did it's that The happen. bill you voted for, you just yeah. didn't dive deep enough to realize what we were doing.
0: Yeah. It's always, and it's always that regulatory state. And that is, is that when see whenever and what see the underlying thing in there is that, can you now it's fine? I think to fire somebody who has activity or participates, right? There's actionable things for, uh, that breaks the law. So like it doesn't matter what your motivation is. Okay. If you're a, a white supremacist and you walk up to somebody who's Latino or somebody who's black or somebody who's Asian and you punch them, you know, the, the point is, is that it doesn't matter what kind of epithet that comes out of your mouth at the time. The thing is, is that you, it's assault and battery. And that is illegal. You should go to jail for that, right? And so the notion though that, well, it's a it's worse assault a battery. Well, the assault battery should be contingent upon what it does to the victim, right? Mm. That's that's what makes it severe or not. And so if you go up and you tap somebody, that's different than hitting somebody in the face with a baseball bat, right? right? And so there should be severity of levels there. That But what's happened is we've shifted away now to where, well, if you even express support for a church or you attend a church that we consider a hate group, well, why do you consider them a hate group? Well, because they don't support same-sex marriage. So that church, that Christian church is a hate group and you're a member of that church. You cannot be a police officer in California. Right. So that is, yeah. So it's really, you know, some people say, well, it's the beginning of the slippery slope. I would say when you read this text of the bill, it's very close to the one in 1933. And so I think we're already on the slope.
1: We're on the slope. We're already slipping is yes. what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Well, we only have a few minutes left. What else did you want to chat about today? Pastor well, I Dog, think that, you know, it brings
0: us to Peter's instruction to the church. What do we do when we're treated this way? Scream and, and,
1: really loud on the internet. Scream is, that, loud is that what we internet. do,
0: Pastor? Well, no, I think we, we kind of mentioned this a little bit, and that is is that some people read Peter's uh, statements here, in the, uh, particularly chapter 2, and then going to servants and slaves, wives, husbands, everybody else, that what he's saying is that, well, you're to be a pacifist in the face of injustice. For instance, if, if you're an employee and you're a Christian and you get fired because you, uh, support on your Facebook page that you're opposed to abortion, right? So Southwest airlines fires you. Some people say, well, you should be a pacifist and a pacifist says, I don't respond. I don't do anything. I just go find something different to do. Right. Some people say that, uh, if you face an injustice, uh, uh, let's say a woman is married, you know, a wife is married and she suffers an injustice from her husband. You know, he physically abuses her. Some people have the, a pacifistic notion in that as well. You're just supposed to bear under that suffering. Husbands, you know, have had women make false accusations against them and lie about them in court to, uh, try to influence the outcome of the divorce or to remove the man from any influence in his children to to punish the man. Uh, we've seen a tremendous rise in women making false claims against men on college campuses. In workplaces. And so according to the, the, pacifistic ideology, a man isn't supposed to do anything in that case, right? He just has to be a martyr. If someone, uh, at university says you can't meet because you're a Christian group, or, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And so what do we do? Are we to be pacifists? And I think Peter is suggesting something different. Peter is saying, when you suffer an injustice, okay, don't get discouraged. Don't feel that God has abandoned you because Christ has followed the same path. Okay. So arm yourself with the attitude of Jesus. And then number two, you need to submit to proper authority. Now, if you're in China and they come in and they falsely accuse you as a and you're a Chinese, oh, you're a Christian. And so you're doing things subversive to the state. Therefore what we're going to do is we're going to throw you in prison. Well, what what do you have to do? Well, if you can't escape, you're going to prison, right? They put you in chains and they put you in prison. Can you, you can fight that right at every given moment you can try to fight and you know it, but you, it'd be probably better to realize, look, until God releases you, you know, by overthrowing this evil regime or whatever. You know, you, you have to follow along. There's really no recourse, but we don't live in China. We live in America and in America, there is recourse in every given situation. There is a good that you can pursue. There is a good way to do it, a right way to do it. And you should do it. Avoid running to evil to saying deceitful things, to manipulate the outcome, let God, you stand up for righteousness and you let God work it out, but use the full extent of the authority. Because as I said before, is that the authority that we have in America is not individuals. It's not groups of people who form, you know, legislatures or whatever, and try to take your rights away whenever they want. The constitution of the United States is our authority. Don't ever forget that. And in it, it specifically states your rights. So under the constitution, you should always exercise to the fullest extent of the law, your fullest extent of possibility, your right, not only to defend yourself, but not allow other groups of people to take your rights away. And so I think that is really. Important if we allow laws like the six, five, five in California to be enacted, then we're not submitting to the real authority, the constitution. And I would contend that we are not acting justly as Christians when we allow legislation like this to pass without standing against it.
1: So, I mean, I think my generation as a whole, never thinks about it this way. We kind of think about the turn the other cheek ideology yes. from Jesus of just being really passive and we're just supposed to bear it. Or the other option is most people in my generation are millennials. We just get on Facebook or whatever social media platform and complain about it. And that's about as far as it goes, <laughs> right? That's, yeah. That's our two options. And there's no real in between for most people. So yeah. Um, in our last few minutes, anything else you want to share with us?
0: Well, I think that you know, your generation has to realize, and this is what's so sad to me is that they're not meant to be this way. And that's one of the reasons why they're so unhappy. So disconnected is that they were intentionally, uh, molded and shaped to act this way Hmm. since the early seventies, the intention of the public education system was to adopt curriculums that increase student sympathies towards more passive social controls. And one of the reasons why is because the emphasis of the teachers unions, a lot of people are not aware, but the teachers unions have a massive influence over the curriculums that are adopted. Okay. And why Well, because you want these young people to grow up and be sympathetic to the teachers unions. You want them in positions, going to colleges and getting political positions because these people vote on the contracts and the amount of money that the teachers unions control the amount of money during the COVID, uh, pandemic that went to teachers unions is off the charts and they, it hasn't even been spent, I think 6% of COVID relief funds that have gone to the unions have been spent, Mm. so they're just sitting on this money. And then last week they made an announcement they're going to spend over 50 million dollars on political campaigns in the midterms so probably like, with covid money yeah i'm like uh boy that's some creative accounting to be able to do that i i would think I, and so i think in the end what i would say is that you see this pattern happening uh, let's go back to california there's a chart i can't i can't show it to you uh but basically in the early nineties, uh, go, late eighties, around 90, only 20% of eighth graders were wanting to go into al- algebraic math, which is really important for stems, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they a- in- instituted this program and guess what? In 2013, they had a four fold increase. It got up as high as 67%. Can you imagine that? And that was 10 years ago, 67% of eighth graders were going into algebra. Wow. That's awesome. You know, learning stems, but then what happened is they implemented common core and it's now down to 20%. Mm. So it's fallen all the way back down. This is because you have a centralized control over school curriculums. They're bypassing what local school boards and these types of things. One hallmark of the data is the increasing hostility in the curriculums towards Christianity. I mean, it's just unmistakable. I would contend that the reason young people are not interested in church is because their society has taught them
1: not to be. So final thoughts, what can we do (laughs) in our current environment?
0: Well, we, I don't think we should be victims and I don't think we should be pacifists. I think what we can do is we need to pour ourselves into building church. You know, the, the American real dream, church, the not real the, church, not the, the, not the weird ones. ones we're talking about, Yeah, I mean the church with the big C yes, you know, here's the bottom line, the American dream for anybody who was to come here and to live well. And we spend our time, we build businesses, we build families, we build safe communities, yet very few people build churches anymore. There is a direct cause between declining churches and increasing social ills. There's a direct causal link. Today, the political climate is against churches prior to COVID. The climate was to regulate and zone churches out of existence. Our own church has had to go through legal battles with, um, uh, government agencies because they tried to, uh, use what, uh, uh unfair regulatory practices to, to take things away from us. In 2015, the passing of the, uh, Obergefell versus Hodges, which required all States to issue marriage licenses to same-sex, same-sex couples. There have been hundreds of lawsuits brought against businesses owned by Christians and by churches. The COVID pandemic unleashed this hostility. Churches were fined, police denying access to church buildings. While it, and pastors, uh, w- there's a couple pastors in America that were sanctioned, and pastors in ca- uh, Canada that were actually arrested mm. by the police. Meanwhile, political protests and riots were being encouraged in the streets. So you can't go to church, and we're fining you hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can go, but we're encouraging you to go to this protest for our political position. That is, that's just not hypocritical. That's evil. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is so unjust that that is evil. There's no other way to look at it. And that shows you that the air of our society is going in that direction. And so we need to build stronger churches. We, and that's what he says, be eager to do good. He says, be eager to love one another, be eager. To be a part of God's community, because when we use our gift that is given to us, the grace of God is poured out in our midst. And that's how we become a light in the darkness.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing all that with us, Pastor Doug. I know we went a little long, but there's a lot to cover in this application. And um, I think it has opened our eyes to a lot of different things that we need to be paying attention to and not being passive in our um, responses and understanding of what's going on around us. So thank you guys so much for joining us. I encourage you guys to make sure you're reading these chapters, um, really diving into them and look at mm-hmm. some of the stuff that pastor Doug mentioned, go do your own research. Don't just do take it. his word for it. That's right. Go and look it up yourself. Cause that's part of your critical thinking skills. Don't yes. take things at face value, go and say, okay, I heard about this thing. I'm going to go do my research and see what happened because that's how you really understand what's going on and not just be blown back and forth by every wind of change. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church.
0: Blessings.